Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. We're in our 18th year now at Faith Bridge, and I can't remember when we didn't have a vacation Bible school. It's one of the first things that we did. It was an outreach to the community. We knew we were gonna have to have this if we're gonna connect with families in this community. VBS is an excellent on-ramp for people because the kids want to come, and that's what we want. We want them to get excited about coming to church, but to know that we're giving them Jesus and we're sharing the gospel, it's just awesome. And then parents start to get to know who we are. I can think of a number of families who came into Faith Bridge through the VBS. That was their first point of contact with us. One such family that comes to mind uh, came in 14 years ago and they had four children and they knew we've got to get connected into a vibrant church because we want them to be anchored in. We want them to grow up uh, strong in, in their faith. They concluded if this is what Faith Bridge is like over the course of one week VBS, we got to try this place out on the weekends. They ended up getting involved here and became disciplers of other people and grow group leaders and serve team leaders and their kids are growing up in, in the ministry here. And so one thing and another over the years, he would actually become the campus pastor for our new Woodlands campus, Wayne Risher. Faithbridge has impacted the life of our family because seeds of faith were planted even back then when our kids were little. So when we went to vacation Bible school and the kids were like, oh, we want to come back, it was time for us to make a decision as a family that we probably need to land someplace that's going to help invest in our family so that we can invest in other families. And all those seeds of faith that had been planted along the way were watered by other people besides just mom and dad. So now it should come as no surprise that Wayne is leading the charge in the Woodlands community as we work to make more and stronger disciples who are making more and stronger disciples outside our existing walls in a whole new community with a bunch of new families. He and Tracy Uno and the whole team in the Woodlands were doing it again. VBS is one more way that if we can keep our focus outside of our walls as a way to draw people in, a way to bring people in, that right there is outreach. What, what better way to do it? We're just so excited about the potential to reach kids who don't know anything about us and maybe don't even know anything about Jesus. It's a compacted time where we get to pray together and play together and worship together and the kids have so much fun, but most importantly, we get to share the gospel with kids day in and day out. Yeah, how about that? Isn't that pretty cool? So good morning at Center Court East and Center Court West and at the Woodlands campus. We're so glad, especially after celebrating the one-year anniversary last Sunday at the Woodlands. I got to be at that campus. That was awesome. So thanks to you guys for all that you're doing up at that campus. And I'm really excited because we're going to do our first VBS at the Woodlands this summer. Let me tell you how it's going to work. So we're actually, it's, it's going to be a little different than we've ever done it before because we're going to be doing two VBSs. So here's what we're going to do. In one week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday mornings, we're going to be in the Woodlands doing outreach in that whole new community where you all are at the Tough Elementary School all around there. It's going to be awesome. Reach hundreds of families. Find some more people like the Richers who will someday be on our campus. I mean, even on our staff, and that's awesome. And so we'll do that on the weekday mornings. Then the VBS on this campus is going to have a new 
outreach kind of thrust to it that, that maybe we haven't had quite as much of the last several years. Here's what it's going to look like. We're actually going to come back to the Klein campus on the same days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that we've just done it in the Woodlands. We're going to come back and we're going to do an early evening VBS on the Klein campus, not in the morning this year, in the early evenings. You say, now, how is that more outreach? Well, here's what we found out. We have tons of moms in our church and in the community who've said, we would love to be a part of this, but we're, we work outside the home. I can't get my kid there to your morning activities. We've had tons of dads who've said, I'd love to be a part. I could even volunteer. I could even serve, but I can't do it in the morning. So we said, okay, we're going to try something new this year. And we're going we're gonna to go for a total outreach at the Woodlands and on the Klein campus, morning up there, evening on the Klein campus. It's going to be awesome all in the same week. So start praying for a lot of energy, all right? So you'll hear more about that coming up in the, probably in the next month or so. We'll give you more details about all that. We're not doing signups or anything like that yet. That'll come, uh, you know, after Easter or so. So anyhow, just wanted to let you know about that since we were talking about it um, this morning and celebrating the one-year anniversary of the Woodlands campus. So today, Pastor Dan is going to kick us off on a new mini-series that we're starting as we continue our journey through 1 Peter, we're calling this four-part series Overcome. And Pastor Dan has a great word. He's doing our kickoff installment today. So on all campuses, let's welcome Pastor Dan as he comes to preach right now. Thank you and good morning. It's great to see all of you here today. Glad you've chosen to worship at Faith Bridge. As Pastor Ken said, we are kicking off a new sermon series that we're calling Overcome. Now, if you have been a Christian for any length of time, then you are well aware of the fact that it is not a particularly easy thing to do. The Christian life inherently carries with it challenges, difficulties, struggles, Uh, it's work, and sometimes it is very hard work. In fact, the Bible even goes so far as to compare faithful discipleship to warfare, spiritual warfare, a very difficult thing to do. So for the faithful disciple, the question is not whether I'm going to struggle and seek to overcome challenges. Instead, the question is how Am I going to do that? Am I going to do it in such a way that I am overcoming, that I am victorious, that I am growing in my faith? Or is my Christian life just going to be one long string of defeat and failure and discouragement? We're continuing our journey through the book of 1 Peter, and over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some challenges that are common to all of us, some things that all of us face throughout the course of our journey with Christ. Things like sin, pride, and worry. A few weeks ago when we were uh, meeting as a preaching team to begin to divide out the topics, Pastor Ken looked at me and said, Dan, uh, I really think you're probably the most qualified to talk about sin. Still trying to work out in my mind whether or not that was a compliment, but at any rate, that's what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. All of our locations, ushers are coming down the aisle. They'll be glad to give you one. If you need a Bible uh, to own, consider that our gift to you. We would love for you to have it. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter is uh, toward the end of the New Testament, almost at the very end, beginning in chapter 4 at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. 
For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of gathering in your house today to worship and to lift up your son, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of Jesus and the salvation we have through him. And thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes uh, to be our teacher and to guide us into all truth. We pray that in this time, our hearts and our minds would be open to receive the truth that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was in the fifth grade, I had the misfortune of being seated directly in front of the class pest. If there was any way possible to annoy student and or teacher, this guy was going to figure it out and maximize it as best he possibly could. Now, most of my growing up years, uh, I was uh, almost always the smallest kid in the class. I'm sure that comes as a surprise to many of you, but that was my fate. However, this guy, the class pest, was actually just a little smaller than me. As I said, he, he sat right behind me, and, and one day he decided it would just be a grand idea to begin thumping the back of my ear over and over and over. And despite my repeated requests to please knock it off, he wasn't interested. He just kept right on thumping. And so finally it reached a point where I turned around and I said, hey, if you don't knock it off, we're going to settle this thing out on the playground during recess. <clears throat> he said, all right, I'll meet you there. Well, I was pretty confident I could take him. After all, he was the one kid in the whole grade who was smaller than me. <clears throat> and so recess time comes and we all go out on the playground. And as kids often do, you know, they make a big circle around us for what's about to happen. And uh, <clears throat> this kid beat the slop out of me. I mean, he bloodied my nose, blackened both of my eyes. I think I lost a tooth in the process. I severely underestimated my foe. I got that day what uh, you might call just a good old-fashioned whooping. Now, maybe in your lifetime, you've never had to endure such a whooping. I, I hope not. But here's something that I know about every single one of us. We have all at some point in time, taken a beating from this thing called sin. Sin. Now, what do we mean by the word sin? Let's, let's begin by defining our terms. What are we even talking about when we talk about sin? Well, at the most basic level, sin is anything which is contrary to the good and perfect will of God. And in our desire to live for Jesus... The cards, the deck, are really kind of stacked against us with regard to sin. The world in which we live is a sinful world. It is broken. It is fallen. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, it impacted everything. And so our entire environment is sinful and separated from God. Each one of us as individuals are sinful creatures. The Bible is clear that we are all sinful. And because we are sinful creatures, we all do sinful things. Every single one of us are sinners. And if all of that were not bad enough, of course, there is an enemy of our souls who delights in tempting us to sin. Now, typically, he does not uh, use the same tactic as the class pest. He doesn't come on with a full frontal assault. No, his preferred MO is deceit, trickery, lying, luring, tempting, trying to get us into a place where we quite naturally get ourselves into trouble. 
the Christian faces a challenging issue when it comes to sin. And it would be very easy to become discouraged as we have to deal with this on an ongoing basis. Today's passage, though, provides for us three important truths that we need to take and learn and apply to our lives. God has not left us to our own devices. He's given us his word for instruction and for correction. And in today's passage, we've got these three truths, which I earnestly believe if we will grasp and apply in our lives, we are going to discover what it means to overcome sin on a regular basis instead of being the victim of defeat. And the first of those truths that Peter wants us to grasp is the importance of having the right attitude about sin. The right attitude about sin. Look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. When Jesus came to earth to address the problem of sin, he came with an attitude of resolve. There was no turning back. He was bound and determined to do whatever had to be done in order to do away with sin. He came with no reservations, even though he knew suffering awaited him. Even though he knew the cross awaited him, he could not be deterred. Even when his closest friends, the disciples, tried to dissuade him, pulling back, get behind me, he said. You don't understand. And the scriptures say that he set his face toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, like a flint. He knew what was coming, but his attitude was one of resolve. Could we honestly say that that is our attitude towards sin? That we've made up our minds, we are done with it, we are going to do whatever is necessary, even up to and including suffering if it is involved in order to address the sin in our lives? I wish that were true. I wish it was true of all of us here, including myself, but I'm afraid that far too many of us settle for what Dallas Willard has called sin management. Sin management. It's the notion that I can tolerate a measure of sin in my life. I'm, I'm just going to accept from the get-go there's going to be some sin there. I really can't do anything about it. And so as long as I can manage it, keep it under control, don't let things get too crazy, I'm going to be okay with that measure of sin. But Jesus knew nothing of sin management. Jesus was all about sin destruction. The Bible says he came to destroy the works of the devil. He came with an attitude of resolve. Have you ever met someone who has that same attitude, who's fierce in their opposition to sin? I, I've met a few folks like that along the way. And here's, here's something that I've noticed about them. They make those of us who are satisfied with sin management very uncomfortable. And the reason is, when we are in their presence and we perceive the degree of their commitment and the, the, the level of their resolve, suddenly our sin management looks so lame in comparison it's terribly convicting to be around someone who's taking this whole thing seriously. Several years ago, I was teaching a, a group of pastors over in India. And at the end of class one day, one of the pastors approached and asked if, if we could have a private conversation. And I said, sure, of course. Uh, this is not an uncommon thing. As a matter of fact, I've, I've come to expect it in my trips over there. You see, it's... Uh, it's difficult for a pastor to have someone to talk to about their sin. And these conversations that I have with these pastors are usually confessional in nature. 
They perceive me to be a safe person. After all, I live on the other side of the world. I'm just going to be there for a little bit. I can hear their confession, and then I'm gone. And so we went off and found a place to sit down and talk, and I prepared to receive this man's confession, but I quickly understood he was not there to do anything of the sort. To begin with, he, he pulled up his shirt on the left side and showed to me a scar there about midway down that was uh, about the size of a silver dollar, and it was a gruesome, nasty-looking scar. And then he lifted his shirt on the other side, and there was another scar about the same size and looked just as terrible. And he went on to explain to me that he had received these wounds on two separate occasions in two different villages. The first on his left side came when he was in a village preaching uh, an open-air evangelistic event. He was preaching the gospel and trying to lead people to Christ. And a, a, a crowd was gathering. The Spirit was moving and people were listening to what he had to say when suddenly some Hindu agitators showed up. They didn't like what he was doing at all. And they began to uh, stir up chaos in the worst sort of way, and fights broke out, and he said, damn, before I knew it, someone had taken a knife and pushed it right into my side. And he said, I came just within a whisker of bleeding out. If not for the grace of God and some very quick-acting people, I probably would have died right there. And then on another occasion, he was preaching in another village, this time inside of a church. He was preaching a revival meeting, and some troublemakers showed up again, and they set the little church on fire. There were about 100 people inside of it. And they were trying to, of course, smoke them out, get them to come out. And the people came running out of the door and the troublemakers awaited them with guns and began to shoot those that came out. And he said, as I came out the steps, I was shot in my side. And once again, by the grace of God, somehow I survived and I continue to serve him to this day. No, this man wasn't there to confess sin to me. I perceived quickly this man was done with sin. After all he had suffered for the cause of Christ, he was not about to go back to his former lifestyle, to doing the things that he had done before. Now, his goal was to live the rest of his life for Jesus. His sight was fixed on the cross and walking with and living for Jesus. He had no interest in the past. This was a man who had an attitude of resolve. And I'm wondering out loud about you and about me, can we honestly say before God, we have that same attitude about sin? Perhaps you say, well, no, Dan, but you know, I I've never suffered like Jesus or like your Indian friend. I don't know that I ever will. But friends, that is not the point. Does suffering equip us to make a resolve? Absolutely, the scriptures say so. But it is not imperative. It is not essential. The only command in this passage is this. Arm yourselves with the same attitude. It doesn't say go out and suffer. It says, arm yourself with the same attitude that Jesus had, which basically says, I don't care what's going to come my way, whether it is a life of relative ease or if it is a life of suffering, I've made up my mind. There's no more debate about this. There's no more tolerating. There's no more sin management. I recognize sin for what it is. I recognize that it is evil, that it is death, that nothing good ever comes from it. And I'm not going there anymore. Now, I don't mean to suggest to you that my Indian friend is now living a life of sinless perfection. He's not, and he wouldn't testify to that. But I will say to you, in a qualitatively different sort of way, he has made up his mind to be done with sin. How about you? What's the state of your attitude toward sin? The first truth Peter wants us to get a hold of, if we're going to be victorious, if we're going to overcome sin, is we have to think rightly about it. The way we 
think about sin will ultimately have an impact on whether or not we are victorious or defeated. We've got to think rightly. We've got to have the right attitude. And then secondly, Peter says, we need the right approach to sin. The right approach. Attitude has to do with how we think about it. Our approach has to do with how we're going to deal with it. What are we going to do actually in the moment when we're wrestling with sin, when we're wrestling with temptation? In verse 7, he says, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. He's giving to us here a strategy an approach to sin that has two components. And the first of those components is to wake up, be alert, be of sober mind, be aware of what is going on, be aware of your circumstances, be aware of what's coming down the road toward you, be aware of your own weaknesses. Think about how to live for God in a victorious sort of way. Because you can write it down, friends, when it comes to sin, passivity never works. When it comes to sin, passivity never works. Too many of us are just sort of stumbling along through life, not giving it much thought, and before we know it, we're right in the middle of something and we don't know what to do because we haven't given it any forethought. There's no strategy about it at all. You know, we creatures, uh, we, we human beings, we're creatures of habit. We're creatures of routine. And most of us tend to move through life wrestling with the same basic set of sins. And our enemy knows this. You know, the devil is not particularly creative when it comes to temptation, but he is persistent and he is observant. And he observes where we struggle. And so he's not about to try and tempt us with some crazy out-of-the-box sort of sin. He's a lot less likely to have success in that event. No, he's going to go after the old tried and true, the same old, same old, the one that trips us up every single time. Do you know what your basic set of sins are? Have you ever given that any thought? Have you ever just sat back and sort of made a list of, you know, this seems to be the area I am continually getting in trouble. We've got to be proactive. We've got to look at that set of sins and begin to ask ourselves, how can I avoid this altogether? Instead of waiting until I'm in it, let's see how we can stay away from it. If there are places that you go where you're always in trouble, don't go to that place. If there are people whose presence always leads you down the right path, stay away from those people. Think strategically about sin. Think strategically about the enemy because I can promise you this, he is thinking strategically about you. It's interesting, in in chapter 5, the very next chapter, Peter repeats this same command almost word for word. In chapter 5, verse 8, he says, be alert and sober-minded. But then he goes on to say something very interesting. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We've got to be on the lookout for the enemy because he's on the lookout for us. Several years ago, I had the privilege of traveling to Botswana, in southern Africa, and while I was there, I had the opportunity to go on a safari. And our tour guide, our safari leader, was an expert on big cats. And it was a fascinating experience to ride in the same truck with this man, learning from him about lions as we observed these majestic creatures up close and personal, sometimes a little too close for my comfort, truth be told. He explained to us that when lions go on the hunt, the first thing they do is position themselves downwind from their prey so that the prey won't pick up their scent and run off. I'm thinking to myself, how how does an animal know about wind currents and wind flow and where to position 
oneself. You're probably aware that uh, it is the females who typically do most of the hunting, and they usually do so in a group and without any ability to communicate with one another. They instinctively take up certain positions. They take on certain roles in the hunt. And one will be the chaser, and one will be the blocker, and another one will come in for the kill. They typically go for the very young, the very old, the weak, the sick, the injured. They always look for the easiest prey. There is nothing happenstance about a lion hunt. And there is nothing happenstance about the enemy's hunt for you and for me. He's observing, he's watching, and he's looking for those opportunities. Are you looking for him? It's time to wake up, to be alert, to be sober-minded, and understand this is what's going on. And this is what's about to unfold. Therefore, I need to go in this direction. The first component of a right approach to sin is to be alert and sober-minded. And the second one, of course, is to pray. Be alert and sober-minded so that you can pray. Battling sin is a spiritual activity. Therefore, we need spiritual weapons. And the greatest weapon that God has given to us is the weapon of prayer. We can think rightly about sin. We can do all of the strategizing that we want to, but if we have not tapped into the power of God, we have wasted our time. That's where the victory is ultimately going to come from. We can make up our minds, we can use willpower, we can think good thoughts, but at the end of the day, it's not you and me who have the victory, it's Jesus living his life in and through us that gives us the victory. He told his disciples, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And the way we stay connected to Jesus is through prayer. That's why he taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those aren't just nice words that we say on special occasions. Those are weapons of warfare that Jesus taught us to use and to use diligently. From time to time when someone will come to visit me to talk about sin that they're struggling with, one of the first questions I'll ask is, how's your prayer life? What's the quality of your prayer life? What is the quantity of your prayers? Because there is a direct correlation between the health of our prayer life and our ability to overcome. And I could guarantee you, if you are not a praying person, you are not an overcoming person. Because we don't have the wherewithal on our own to do it. Our flesh is weak and will fail every time. But when we choose to do battle on our knees and we open ourselves up to the power of God, which He is more than willing to give, which He is eager to give to His servants, we find a power and an ability that we never knew existed. A newfound ability and motivation and desire to say no to sin and to say yes to God. That's not something you and I can work up on our own. But if we will come before our Father who knows our needs even before we ask and is more than willing to give them to us, Overcoming is not just a possibility, it's a reality. We've got to think rightly about it. We need the right attitude. We've got to have the right approach to dealing with it. And then third, Peter wants us to understand the advantage that we have over sin. Did you know that as a Christ follower, we have a built-in advantage over sin? It's right there in verse 8. Love deeply. Love one another deeply. For love can overcome a multitude of sins. It's love. 
Christ-like agape love is the built-in advantage that you and I have. Agape love is a love that says, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to make your needs more important than mine. Agape love is Jesus in action. It's Jesus living his life through us. And that is our secret weapon. That is our advantage. Why? Because our enemy does not understand love. He cannot love and there is no love in him. And so when we do battle with love, he is baffled. He simply doesn't get it. You see, the essence of sin, if if you boil it down, you take away all the trappings, the essence of sin, no matter what the stripe, is selfish pride. I don't care what sin you're talking about, if you take away all of the accoutrements, at its core, it's all about selfish pride. Me first, I want what I want. Before God, before you, before anything else, it's me. That's what caused Satan to fall in the first place. That's what caused Adam and Eve to fall. And that's what causes us to fall every time. We're only and first and foremost thinking about ourselves. Love is the polar opposite of selfish pride. Agape love says, you are more important than me. God is more important than me. If selfish pride is the essence of sin. Love is the essence of being a Christ-like person. It's love that fills our hearts and enables us to do the things that are difficult to do. Have you ever noticed that when we are genuinely loving someone else with the love of Christ, when we are genuinely serving others as Jesus would serve Sin and temptation become rather small. They lose their allure. The insistent appeal that sin has over us begins to go away when we take the focus off of ourselves and put them on God and other people. Sin is all about inward focus. Loving is all about outward focus. And there is a power in loving other people that diminishes the power of sin. Honestly, I think that is why people love to go on mission trips. I can't tell you the number of times in the, in the aftermath of a mission trip, someone has said to me, Pastor Dan, that was a life-changing experience. I, I felt so close to God. I grew in my faith. Well, there, there's no magic there. There's no mystery there. On our mission trips, we're working so hard, focusing so much on serving others, we don't have time or energy to think about sin. That's why I work the daylights out of people when I take them on a mission trip. (laughs) Jesus gave himself up for us. And as we choose to imitate his life, giving ourselves up for others, those old habits, those old temptations, those things that tug and pull at our heart suddenly become weak. Because we're investing in something else. We're investing in something eternal and good and righteous. And there is power in that. Take a moment and picture in your mind the person that epitomizes for you Christ-like love. Just get it fixed right up here. Who, Who is that one individual that you know or have known who just is the very image of Christ-like love. Well, obviously, I, I don't know 99% of the people that all of you are thinking about, but here's something I know to be true about every single one of them. You believe them to be a loving person because they serve others. It's not because they have a sweet smile or a charismatic personality, or they read their Bible, or go to church, or anything else. No, we understand, we perceive people to be loving because they are servants. That's what generates our admiration. That's what generates our appreciation, 
our desire to imitate them is that they are living out a life that God intended for us to live. And there is a natural attraction to that. In just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter, the highest and holiest week on the church calendar. We're going to remember the journey that Jesus made to the cross. And it was at the cross where the devil thought he had won. He couldn't get Jesus to sin, but he could get the people around Jesus to sin, and he could prompt them to do away with Jesus, and so that's what he did. And before you know it, Jesus is hanging on a cross, and the devil was just sure that he won. But you see, the devil does not understand agape love. And he didn't understand that it was love that drove Jesus to the cross and allowed his body to be broken for you and for me. He didn't understand that it was love that motivated Jesus to pour out his blood that we might receive forgiveness of sin. He didn't understand that it was love that raised Jesus from the dead three days later. He didn't understand that it was love that extends the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sin, and the hope of eternal life to you and to me. But thanks be to God, that gift is ours. And it's a gift that never runs out. Jesus' love always comes to us on its way to somebody else. And if we're going to step up and be victorious over sin, and if we're going to live the kind of life that God is calling us to live, and if we're going to live the kind of life that is a blessing to other people, it's going to happen because we have thought rightly. We've had the right attitude. We've resolved to do what must be done. We're going to have the right approach. Well, we're not blind to the wiles of the enemy. We're thinking Christians. We're praying Christians. But above all, we are loving other people. Do you want to be that kind of person? That's not a rhetorical question. Do you want to be that kind of person? I'm glad to hear about 10 of you do. Do you want to be that kind of person? Thanks be to God. Eleven men made up their minds to be that kind of person. It took them a while to get there, but eventually they did, and they turned the world upside down. The task is still before us, and the love is still available to us. And so as you come to the table today, To receive the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about sin. I want you to think about your own sin. I want you to think about your attitude and your approach to sin and your use of the advantage that we have. And if you need to spend some time confessing your sin to God and being cleansed, the altar is here. But don't miss out on this opportunity to meet with one who loves you more than you can possibly imagine and who desires to equip you to live a life of victory, a life that overcomes. In just a moment, the ushers are going to guide us down and you will be invited to come to one of these stations where you can take a gluten-free cracker, dip it in the cup and partake. We have an open table at Faith Bridge. That is to say, If you have a relationship with Jesus or you would like to have one, you are more than welcome to come. If you need someone to pray with you, we'll have prayer partners in red shirts on either side. They'll be glad to come and pray with you. But come with a heart that is open, ready to receive all that Jesus has for you. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we readily confess to you that we have been cavalier in our approach to sin. We tolerate it. We excuse it. We deny that it's even there sometimes. But in the light of your love and of your truth, we cannot deny 
it's there all too often. So forgive us and cleanse us and equip us as only you can to leave this place today and to walk into that sinful world with a new attitude and a new approach and a desire to live out the advantage of love at every opportunity. We offer our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hi and welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, Grow Group Director, and I'm here with Pastor Dan, who just brought us the first part of a new series called Overcome. And today we looked at overcoming sin. Welcome, Pastor Dan. Thank Good you. to have you back here today. And so today we looked at, and you gave us really three truths around overcoming sin. Mm-hmm. And we talked about having the right approach, and you gave us some practical ways that we could overcome sin. And you gave us two, really, mm-hmm. talking about prayer being a very important part of that, and right. also putting in some safeguards. Okay. Um, we actually didn't have questions come in, but I have some of my own questions that okay. I'm going to ask you. Um, what are some other practical ways that we can... Um, put into practice to overcome sin? Sure. Well, I think one of the most hopeful and helpful will be something near and dear to your heart, and that's being in community. Mm -hmm. You really cannot underestimate the importance of having people around you, preferably of the same sex, who you can bear your soul to Mm. uh, on a pretty regular basis. Um, I have a group that I meet with usually every Friday And I cannot tell you the number of times I have resisted temptation because I knew I was going to have to confess my sin to them (laughs) on on Friday, and I didn't want to be the the confessor. Uh, So community really, really helps. Mm -hmm. Uh, Closely related to that, of course, is community for service, being on a Mm -hmm. serve team or going on a mission trip. Uh, The devil really does use idle hands. not having something to do is a bad, bad thing. Mm. So keeping yourself busy for kingdom purposes is um, a really good thing. Um, of course, and there's no substitute for staying in the Word, a regular devotional life. That mm. keeps our mind focused where it needs to be mm. and off of places that it shouldn't. So That's good. I'd recommend those. That's good. And so as I think through um, all the truths today, you know, there is the component that no matter, I can just think about, no matter how hard I try, even today probably, before I even go to bed, I will ultimately fail in some way. I will trip up and no matter how hard I try, there will be something in some capacity that I sin today, Um, just our sinful nature. So what happens or what do I do when I find myself in that Mm -hmm. situation? Well, what we are tempted to do is run. Uh, like Adam and Eve, go and hide. We're uh, ashamed. We're convicted. We're embarrassed. We think surely God is done with us. Um, But in fact, what he desperately wants us to do is to come and find him uh, and deal with it. Don't let it get bigger and bigger. Uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess, he's faithful and just Mm -hmm. to forgive. And I think my most favorite image in the entire Bible is... Uh, from the story of the prodigal son, while he was still a long way off, it says, uh, his father saw him and he began to run toward him. And every time I read that story, um, it uh, touches my heart. And it just reminds me that God's not my enemy. He, mm. he's, he's my friend more than I want to be his friend. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. And so... When I do sin and come to him, should I should I have like a regular pattern of confession? Is this I, I think that's best. Just uh, to God uh, or uh, is well, there something that says that I should also be confessing to I would say certainly always to God. Mm-hmm. And and my habit is um in my daily prayer time I do a 24 hour inventory. I, I just mm-hmm. think in my mind back over the last twenty four hours 
and ask God to show me where, where did I lose my temper? Where did I say something hurtful or inappropriate? Where did I think bad thoughts? You know, and, and he brings them to mind. And so I just keep short accounts, 24 hours, it's dealt with, it's done. But then too, there are those occasions where I need to go to a person and say, I am very sorry. I should not have done that. Would you please forgive me? Uh, sometimes that's my spouse. Sometimes that's my children. Sometimes that's my coworkers. Uh, sometimes it's people I don't even know. Like uh, I remember on one occasion, I was just in a bad mood and I was very rude to uh, this little worker at a Chick-fil-A and felt justified in the moment, but once the spirit began to convict, uh, after I choked down my meal, <laughs> I had to walk back up to the counter and just say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that was wrong of, of me. Um, I've learned that the more we obey when those little promptings come, the easier it gets and the softer my heart gets. Mm -hmm. And, and the opposite is also true. When I just say, no, I'm not going to do it, it becomes easier to say no the next mm -hmm. time and the little crusty shell it gets harder and harder. around my heart. Yeah. It gets harder. Um, so I know that um, when you sin, that confession and forgiveness is important. But talk to me about where grace factors into that. How does that come into the process? Right. Well, grace is a wonderful thing and uh, can be a dangerous thing. And here's, here's what I mean. Uh, grace, of course, is unmerited favor. It, it's God's love coming to us even though we do not deserve it. And it's always there. It's greater than all of our sin, as the old hymn says. But because we are sinful, it is very easy to presume upon. Mm. and. I am as guilty as anyone of having been in a situation where I was tempted to do something wrong and I consciously thought, well, he'll forgive me. <laughs> and I just went ahead and did it. Um, that's not the right approach to grace. Uh, the right approach to grace, of course, is one of gratitude uh, for what Jesus has done for us and letting that uh, experience of receiving grace motivate me toward more holiness of life rather than what I can get away with. Mm, that's good. That's yeah. good. Great message today and all good truths that we can apply. I'm excited to hear more about overcoming Thanks. in the next few weeks. And thank you for joining us here for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.